This episode is brought to you by Pico Brew, makers of the Zymatic and Pico Brewing Systems. The brewing systems of the future are here now. Discover how easy and rewarding it is to make great beer with Pico Brew. And by Craftmeister and BTF Iota 4. When you absolutely, positively need to make every surface clean, bust out the cleaners with professional power and home brewer safety. Make better beer with better chemistry. Choose Craftmeister. And by the American Homebrewers Association, a community of more than 46,000 beer lovers. Since 1978, the AHA and its members have worked to promote and celebrate the homebrewing hobby and community. Join today for six issues of Zymergy Magazine, AHA member discounts on beer, food, and brewing supplies, access to exclusive events and competitions, and a bunch of other cool stuff that'll take too long to list here. Head over to homebrewersassociation.org or experimentalbrew.com and get yourself a membership. And by you, our listeners, go to experimentalbrew.com to help support us. Click on the Patreon link to donate whatever amount you'd like to help support us and our charities. Click on the Brew Your Own Magazine link to subscribe to BYO. Or click on the HA link to join the American Homebrewers Association and receive a subscription to Zymergy Magazine. Part of the proceeds from those go to help support the podcast. Thanks for your support. Hey there, beer people. Welcome to Experimental Brewing with Denny and Drew. I'm Denny Kahn. And I'm Drew Beecham. Together, we're the authors of Experimental Homebrewing, Mad Science in the Pursuit of Great Beer, and Homebrew All-Stars, where we interview 25 of the world's best brewers, where they give you their tips, tricks, and secrets to make great beer. Now, together, we have nearly 40 years of homebrewing experience. I'm the guy known for weird beer and strange ideas. And I'm the guy who's known for questioning the conventional wisdom and testing it out. Well, and on today's episode, we're finally back in the studio after last week's adventure at Homebrew Con. I don't know about you, man, but I'm glad that only happens once a year. I don't know. I could have it happen once a year if once a year meant it happened continuously. <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> hey, I'm I'm strange. I like I, I like the excitement. But hey, it's been a couple of weeks since we've had a chance to do some actual talking, and, well, you know, the beer world is changing rapidly as we speak, so we've got a couple of really cool stories to cover in the pub. We've got some stuff to cover in the library because, hey, reading is good. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about some of the cool stuff that we saw at HomebrewCon and that we didn't get the chance to talk about while we were on the show. And then in the lab, we're going to release some results. Uh, whether or not underpitching really does make a difference, can people detect the difference between a beer that's underpitched or a beer that's properly pitched, or mostly properly pitched. We'll get into that. <laughs> right. And then finally, we're going to head into the lounge, and where we're going to actually have two segments for you. Uh, one is a great segment that Marshall and I recorded while we were at the Southern California Homebrewers Festival back in May, uh, with a guy who has, well, I can't think of any other way to put it except for a pressurized pocket randall, and that kind of sounds dirty. It would to you. It sounded dirty to everybody else on Facebook I posted about it, too. <laughs> and then uh, our second interview segment of the week we're going to actually be talking to Bob Peace, uh, who is the CEO of the Brewers Association. We got a chance to sit down with Bob at the Homebrew Con about some big news that by the time you're hearing this episode has already been released. What could it be? 
and then something other than beer, some tips, and then we're going to get out of here and let you get back to your commute, and hopefully your day is going well. So uh, before we get into all that, we want to let you know that uh, there's a new episode of The Brew Files out that dropped about a week ago. Drew interviews Dave Jansen about uh, brewing grisette. And, uh, you know, it's a style that I'm not real familiar with. A lot of people aren't real familiar with. And it's darn interesting info if you want to brew or even just drink one. Yeah, I mean, uh, first things first, I'll apologize for the sound of my voice during that particular interview. Uh, I basically chose the wrong mic settings. My bad. But the content itself is great. And you mostly get to hear Dave anyway. Who wants to hear me? Just just say it, man. You dick chimped it. That's your term. <laughs> it's my term for you. Uh, right. I'll, I'll borrow it officially. But no, please go listen to the episode. I think it was a great episode. So, uh, and the other thing we want to talk about right now, just a little bit, is uh, our charity. And, uh, you know, if you go to our website and click on the Patreon link, you can contribute to uh, whatever charity we're currently supporting. As June has wound down, we have uh, finished our drive for the San Gabriel Valley Humane Society. We've collected a bit over a thousand bucks for them. And we are going to be on to a new charity charity uh we have some ideas if you have some ideas let us know get them in quick send them to podcast at experimentalbrew.com and we'll put them into the charity possibility bag yeah and i just wanted to say you know if you don't remember and i don't know how you couldn't this particular drive was all about raising some money in memory of my beloved cookie and we had set a goal of hey let's try to get a thousand dollars for the dogs and i'm very happy to say that even though we don't have the official total yet we've made over a thousand dollars so thank you yeah that's great man i really appreciate it so uh do we have feedback all right yes and we do have a couple of bits of feedback about the beer mess show that we did uh just before homebrew con and we got one piece of feedback from uh jason schwartz who says uh hey guys first off i love the podcast and thank you for everything you guys do for homebrewers love the content and i'm currently in the middle of reading homebrew all-stars jason you rock in addition to my homebrewing hobby, I've spent almost as much time reading up on nutrition over the last few years, and your addressing of the beer belly topic caught my attention. I rarely had trouble keeping weight off until I discovered a love for craft beer and eventually home brewing. and I know how difficult it can be to strike a healthy balance. While I mostly agree with everything Drew had to say on the topic, I thought I'd relay one caveat I've discovered amongst some of my readings. That being that the ingestion of alcohol can also have a direct impact on production of cortisol levels in the body. Cortisol, being a stress hormone, can have the unfortunate effect of causing the body to store more belly fat. So unfortunately, it is the beer to some extent, and not just the calorie count, which also certainly plays a role. Or, you know, at the very least, alcoholic beer. And let's be honest, no one listening to the podcast likes non-alcoholic beer. I don't have any direct links to reading material to share, but I know you, you're quite good at research, so I'll leave it to you if you're interested. Thanks again and have fun at NHC. Well, and, you know, Jason's right. I mean, there are, there are a lot of complicated topics about, you know, how alcohol interacts with, you know, weight loss and beer belly stuff. And it's like we said, you know, alcohol is not great for you from a nutritional standpoint. It's not great for you from a caloric standpoint. But it still really is, you know, not the perfect food to be eating. And then it tends to also compound into bad food choices. So uh, cortisol is a, a wonderful thing and with a lot of... Well, um, well, a lot of different, uh, different impacts and you'll, you'll hear people talk about it in, in weight loss literature. And I know a lot of it's getting debated around, but it's also part of the reason why people say our stressful lives as Americans nowadays are also contributing to the obesity epidemic. So there you go. 
that's your that's your myth feedback. Uh, if you have any other myth feedback, uh, please uh, reach out to us and let us know. And let me just say, as somebody who is currently engaged in a struggle to lose a lot of weight, I, I have found that it's as simple as fewer calories in and more calories out. I spend half an hour to 45 minutes every day on my treadmill. Uh, I limit myself to four ounces of beer a day. That's not fun, but it's working. I'm dropping weight. I'm getting healthier. There you go. It's all right, balance and all the cycle. So let's do this. Now, I think it's time for you to have your four ounces of beer. Stick around. We will be right back with the pub life. Y-Yeast has been producing premium liquid yeast for over 30 years and continues to provide homebrewers with the same quality, purity, and reliability as the professionals. The third quarter private collection emulates the rich traditions and characteristics of Belgian-style beers from Flanders to Florinville. 3739 Flanders Gold Nail, 3789 Trappist-style blend, and 3822 Belgian Dark Ale are worthy choices for creating the diverse styles of Belgium this summer. And don't forget, you can win all of the Y-East summer seasonal yeasts, along with swag from Experimental Brewing and Y-East. See experimentalbrew.com for contest rules. Contest closes July 31st, 2017. Welcome back. We are sitting here in the Experimental Brewing Pub at the corner of everywhere and nowhere in your town, USA. We are drinking a couple beers. And uh, what's yours today, Drew? Well, I had to go local and independent and local. And so today I'm drinking uh, Craftsman Brewing Company's uh, Simply Saison, which they do in the summer. Because it's summertime. <laughs> it works for me, it's man. Saison, it sounds great. It's local. So yeah, I'm going. Uh, I'm going semi-local with a beer from uh, Deschutes Brewing, called Pacific Wonderland. It's a, it's a lager, kind of in the style of a German lager, but with uh, kind of American hops to it. Real delicious, uh, real refreshing, and uh, it's it's my new summertime beer, unless I'm drinking Bitburger, which is my all-time favorite summertime beer. Huh. And Bitburger instantly is the one non-alcoholic beer I actually can stand, the Bitburger Drive. Huh, I've never even, even that seen that. Desperation. And thank God for yep. that. You can find it at Trader Joe's. Ah, uh, not my Trader Joe's. They only have the alcoholic <laughs> one. <laughs> All right, well, hey, so since we're here in the pub and we're having beers and we talked about Homebrew Con last week, why don't we get down into a little bit of uh, the fun that we had at Homebrew Con? Some of us had more fun than others, I think. Yeah, that's true. I think that you were one of those. Uh, we started off with an extremely fun five-hour governing committee meeting, right? <laughs> yeah, well, and the best part was it was actually a short governing committee meeting. <laughs> uh, long, long cry from the days when they were two-day affairs. Yeah, that's right. Uh, first one I went to was uh, at least eight hours long, so uh, it, it's nice to have it cut back. And uh, we still got a lot of work accomplished. Uh, and I guess this is a good time to uh, remind everyone that if you're interested in what the AHA does, and if you think you have something to contribute, 
you can go to homebrewersassociation.org, take a look at the various subcommittees on the governing committee, and see if there's something there that attracts your interest, and you can volunteer to help out, uh, whether you've been elected to the governing committee or not. We're always looking for volunteers with energy and good ideas, so check it out, see if there's something there. Yeah, for instance, Denny and I run the content committee, and, well... There's always content to review, and we always need people to review content or suggest content. Yeah. So if you're interested in that, find us. We'll get you on board. That's right. That's right. And we're always looking for authors for articles, stuff like that. So at any rate, uh, the AHA is an organization that is of and for its members, and we'd love to have you get involved. So uh, kick that around. Yeah. Well, and then, of course, after the governing committee meeting was over, we went back and Took a nap because, hey, dri- uh, traveling to Minneapolis from the West Coast is a, oh, that's a long flight and my arms are tired. <laughs> so, yeah, I beat you the joke, buddy. Yeah. Uh, and then after that, we joined up with our good friends, Chip Walton from Chop and Brew, and of course, Marshall and the whole Brewlosophy gang for the uh, Chop and Brew pre-funk party that happened at Insight Brewing Company. And I have to say, uh, that was that was a really great time. I mean, we took over the whole brewery. They had a homebrew tasting section. And they actually had nice labels for all the homebrewers so that people could tell what was going on. And local homebrewers there pouring their wares and just having a good old time. Marshall gathered up, it seemed like, every prize known to mankind to raffle off. Lots of great beer to have. There was a beer choir going on. There was karaoke, thankfully, after we left. Oh, and, and before that, though, I got to torture people with trivia. Yeah, I know, man. That, that seemed like it went really well. People really seemed to enjoy it for some reason. Well, I mean, I think people like it when I ask, you know, mean questions. They just have a sadistic streak. And so then after that, other parties to attend because, I mean, look, it's a beer con and it's the first day of the the whole thing. There are going to be parties everywhere. Now, I don't know about you, Danny. I didn't get a chance to actually do a lot of talks this year. But talks are always kind of a nice highlight. Did you, uh, did you get to see anything? Only, only the three that I introduced. Um, and, uh, you know, I managed to sign up for talks that I really wanted to see. Uh, I started off with uh, introducing uh, Chino Brews, uh, Darji Sashin. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, well, you laugh, but it was, it was great, man. We, uh, we buried the hatchet, not in each other's heads, and uh, had a, a real good conversation. And he was speaking about one of my favorite topics, how to have a faster, more efficient brew day by eliminating all the crap that you don't really need to do and how to evaluate it and decide what you want to do and what you don't need to do. So that was a and what do you what do you think was the big tip that you took away from it? I think the big tip was just to think about what you're doing. I mean, you know, that's that was the whole thing. Don't just blindly go into things and do them because somebody else told you you should or you've always done that. Think about why you're doing it and if you need to do it. And that uh, that fits in perfectly with the philosophy that I've always had. So uh, I thought I thought that was real interesting. Uh, followed that up with uh, Aaron Hyde from Brees, who is one of the tallest and nicest guys you'll ever meet in your life. And uh, Aaron was talking about blending beers and had samples of like six different beers there that you could blend for yourself. There was no right or wrong. It was kind of like a, a discovery session, you know, blend this with this and see what happens. Very interesting, very fascinating. And again, people loved it. And finished up with our dear, dear friend, Annie Johnson, talking about uh, how to brew a Czech Pilsner. And uh, she passed around samples of a 
triple decocted Czech Pilsner that she had made. And I swear to God that if I wasn't so lazy, that might be the best argument I've ever tasted for decoction. Uh, well, I was going to say, it's a good thing that there are people out there who are less lazy than us so that that sort of thing can be done still because, yeah, I'm not doing it. Yeah, me, me either. But, you know, I will drink all of Annie's uh, triple decocted Czech pills that she wants to hand me. So, and of course, we can't uh, we we can't leave the subject of talks behind without actually talking about you know how we started the whole thing off, which was you know you, me, and two other boys by the name of Marshall and Malcolm, uh, aka the philosophers, all talking about you know hold my beer and watch me science. And I have to say, I mean, I thought I thought that was great. I mean, it was loose, it was entertaining. Uh, I, at least I was having fun. I don't know about you. Uh, yeah, I, and hopefully it was informative for people. Uh, basically, you know, we find, and we've talked a lot to uh, Marshall and Malcolm about this, that when uh, we or they put out an experiment, you kind of like get a lot of reactions at the two extremes. One end being, uh, you guys totally screwed that up and you should have done it like this because this is what I want to know. And the other end is people going, oh, my God, this is like the truth of the ages. This is like universal wisdom. Whatever you guys say, I believe. And we were trying to get across to people that neither one of those is uh, necessarily the way you should look at our experiments. Yeah, a little column A, a little column B, and a little column C called you. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. The, the idea is uh, look at them as useful information and find out what works for you. So there you go. There was our talk in a nutshell, uh, minus the ukulele. I have to admit it was pretty cool to hear a thousand people singing along to the beer song. Yeah, I'm, I have no words. <laughs> Yeah, I can imagine. Uh, well, at least it gives me a, a valid reason to break out the laser porn. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Drew uh, Drew does the bouncing ball thing on the lyrics. So, uh. yeah. Well, and then, of course, uh, we did. Well, OK, I'm sorry. Of course, I did uh, some of the late night activities there at HomebrewCon. Uh, Denny was being a wise old man and, and resting up. But, you know, Pro Night was, you know, its usual sort of uh, craziness with lots of really good beers out there to be had. We got to hang out with some really good friends before that. And then, of course, there was the arch madness that is Club Night. And yeah, I was, boy, howdy. I was sorry I had to miss that one, man. The pictures look amazing. Well, and particularly because you missed, you know, Mr. Shram walking around pouring bottles of his meads. Uh, the Kansas City Beermeisters had some great meads as well. I, I seem to have been on a mead kick for a while. There was a, one club that had a pastrami goza that was hysterical, and I would have loved to have you there just so you could have had the reaction I know you're having right now. You know what, man? Uh, after knowing you for all these years, my reactions have been tempered. <laughs> nothing nothing I, I, surprises I, me anymore. Uh, well, but th that one was really good because it was very much in kind of my vein of a culinary beer idea where it's an invocation of the idea and not actually using the ingredients. So it was a smoked goes with, you know, various other aspects to it, including salt and black pepper to make it seem more pastrami-esque. So uh, perfectly the way I like to do it. Wow. And That's yeah, and the, the, whole, the whole rest of the time, I mean, you had people dressed up like they were Games of Thrones characters. You had, <laughs> yeah. Marching, uh, yeah, marching parades going through the the whole floor. Uh, Chip 
pulled up one of his good buddies, uh, Abstract Artemis, who played sort of a, a art metal rock and roll show at one end of the the whole fest zone, and it was really great. And of course, got to hang out with a lot of different people and just you know sort of be silly and crazy. I even put a video up on uh, Facebook uh, of the end of the night. Where, you know, hey, we were happy. And it was a bunch of people uh, talking about what was really great about that night. Yeah, assuming you can understand any of them. And I. Yes, assuming. I, well, I mean, hell, that's a problem for people on this podcast anyway. That's true. Uh, I want to I mention one very disturbing trend at, uh, at HBC this year karaoke. I mean,. <laughs> what, what the hell is the deal, people? There was karaoke at the uh, at the pre-funk party. There was karaoke going on in the expo hall. I mean, people, it is not the '80s anymore, and you can't really sing. So let's just let's just get rid of karaoke. So okay, there I've done it. Uh, wait, oh, wait, hold yeah? on. You can't really sing, and that's never stopped you. So. Relax, man. Let people have their fun. Yeah, but yeah, okay, okay. Whatever. <laughs> I, I have, I have made my statement. Uh, so, uh, at least when I do it, I'm not taking it seriously, and maybe they're not either. And it just seems like it. Okay. No, I, I think they're, I think they're taking it with lots of beer. Yeah. Okay. And then That's I, I also wanted to talk about like. Go ahead. Well, one other, one other thing I thought would be interesting to talk about was the change up of the awards ceremony. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Yeah, in years past, you know, if you went, if you wanted to see the awards for the NHC and you were there at, at the party, you had to go buy a banquet ticket and then everybody sat down and ate like a three, four, five course dinner, very formal, lots of beers being poured and whatnot, but, you know, still sort of a dinner and then giant hall of people and people running around and took forever. I mean, I remember the first ones took a long time and then eventually they got much better at it and sped up the process. But this year in lieu of the banquet, because the banquet, it turned out, was just not getting a lot of popular reviews from people. They said, no, we're canceling the banquet this year. They had a separate announcement of award ceremony, kind of like what they do at the GABF. Everybody got together in an auditorium hall. It was open to everybody. So if you had entries in, you could go. If you didn't have entries in, you could skip it. And they blazed right through it. And it was great. We got to see Justin from the Brewing Network be absolutely, you know, speechless and dumbfounded as he won the uh, Governing Committee of Recognition Award. We got to award the Radagast to a small homebrew club this year, uh, right there in your neck of the woods, Denny, right? Yeah, the uh, Heart of the Valley from Corvallis, Oregon. Great group of people who have done amazing things with their club. Yep, we had a guy who won a medal from South Korea who was in the audience and took off like at a shot. And I swear, I think he bowled over 10 people on his way to the and, stage. And Mr. Language person needs to jump in here. It was a guy from South Korea who won a medal, not a guy who won a medal from South Korea. Ugh, all right, fine, grammarian. <laughs> you know, I, I just thought that people might be wondering why the hell we were giving away South Korean medals. No, I don't think anybody's wondering that. Nobody's wondering why the strippers are named JFK and Stalin. <laughs> all right. <clears throat> All right, but I mean, I thought it was just really great. I mean, it was a a hell of a time. Yeah. So, well, and then after that, we had a big party. Yeah, it was perfect. That's right. That's right. It was great, man. Uh, uh, lots of great food. They served the leftover beers from the competition, and it was a, you know, it was one of those things. I wasn't sure I was going to like the change, and I really, really enjoyed it a lot. It was a, a really good format, and I'm looking forward to a little bit of refinement of it, but uh, keeping it going. 
And uh, next year, HomebrewCon is going to be in Portland, Oregon. Hooray, hooray. It's, uh, uh, that just means you get to do more work. Yeah, that's right. It's, uh, it's a week later. It'll be, uh, I think, I believe the last week in June. Um, so uh, put that on your calendars right now. If you've never been to Portland, I guarantee you that you are going to love the city. Tons of great breweries, uh, a really good food city. So uh, plan on being there, and we'll see you there, huh? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. And, of course, uh, given that it'll be on the West Coast, that means the Maltos Falcons will be there in force pouring beer because, of course, we will. My club already gave our booth and uh, our whole tap set up a uh, dry run at the Pacific Northwest Conference last year. So uh, we'll be there, too. Okay, before we spend all of our time talking about Homebrew Con, let's talk a little bit about uh, something new that's come out to help you find uh, Craft Malt, right? Oh, yeah. So there's a whole bunch of stuff going on in the news right now about seals. But the one that surprised me today was... One of our sponsors, MechaGrade, uh, they actually announced that there is a new Craft Maltsters Guild, and included in the guild is the right to use a seal, and they're going to actually have that on their packaging. And what this actually means is it's a seal designed to designate, hey, you know, we're a small independent maltster, you know, because, hey, you know, there's a lot of movement towards supporting small and independent. And we'll get into a lot more of that later. But... We thought it was pretty cool that, the, that they're actually kind of helping people make some of those decisions. And MechaGrade has been killing it recently. I keep seeing more and more people talking about their malt. And it's really, really good stuff. And that reminds me, i got to finish doing that uh, malt tasting for them. Uh, yeah. So, uh, watch for a video. Yeah, right. They uh, actually talked about that in their latest newsletter. And I'm actually heading over to uh, Eastern Oregon at the end of August and spending a few days at MechaGrade. So in September, we'll have... Uh, pictures and interviews and a tour of the malt house and uh, a lot of a lot of interesting info about mecha grade and we're going to try and get a few other maltsters on too so we'll have a uh, big malt extravaganza show coming up in september keep uh, keep an eye out for those sorts of uh, seals they are actually starting to kind of give you some more information and trying to help you navigate the the mesh of money and control uh and depending upon how much you care about it you may or may not you know, and every time somebody says seals, I think of, like, aquatic creatures balancing balls on their nose. Yeah, well, I think old Dr. Demento songs, and that's about <laughs> as far as that I'm going. Okay, all right, all right that's fine. Uh, also from the craft beer world, uh, Russian River. So if you, if you haven't been paying attention, you know, Russian River is one of those great breweries, and Vinny and Natalie are fantastic people. Uh, they are the sort of people who make me happy to be able to support, you know, craft beers. And they have... Originally opened up a production brewery, I think, like seven years ago or so, uh, after ha- opening up the brew pub in downtown Santa Rosa. And that brewery was doing great, and they were producing about 20,000 barrels out of it a year, I think, which is small for a company that has that big of an impact on the craft beer scene. And they announced, hey, they're getting ready to open up a brand new facility, and it's going to be much bigger, and it's going to give them more capacity and everything else, which hopefully will also expand their distribution a little bit more. Um, but... What they decided to do was they can't run three places at once. It'd be the new brewery, the production brewery, and then the brew pub. So they are actually looking in 2018, when the new brewery comes online, to sell the old facility to somebody to just walk in and take right over. So I just thought it was kind of interesting. It was like a, you know, hey, 
here you go, somebody come in and you can you can instantly kind of start your footprint into uh, Santa Rosa area. And of course, I think they're looking for sort of a bigger brewery to kind of step in there and take over the facility to have a West Coast footprint. Well, good for them, man. Uh, I don't think I'll be putting in a bid on it. Yeah, I, I looked at what the price was. Uh, I I can't script together enough pennies. Oh, well. <laughs> Even if I could, I don't think I would. But, you know, that's me. I know that there's a lot of people out there who would love to be doing it. Well, and I'll be curious to see how far they expand their, their distribution. Because right now, you think about it, Russian River is only distributed in California, Oregon, I think Washington, and then Philadelphia for historical reasons. <laughs> and Philadelphia. Hmm, how does that happen? Prob- <laughs> yeah, the, the, whole, the whole state of Philadelphia. Probably Lou has something to do with that, huh? Either that or monks. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. Of course. Okay, I guess it's about time we finish up these beers. Head over to the library, and Drew's going to tell you about a new book about old beer. We'll be right back. Mecca Grade Estate Malt is a craft malt house owned and operated by the Klon family on their beautiful Central Oregon high desert farm. Their eighth generation Oregon farming family grows and malts all of their own specialty grain, creating malts that are rare, remarkable, and bursting with flavor. Malt is the foundation of your beer, so why settle? The best beers deserve MechaGrade. For more information, please visit MechaGrade.com. wandered over to the library we're sitting here among all these shelves of books in these nice comfy chairs we're smoking our pipes and i'm gonna just throw it to drew now first off shh oh yeah right be very very quiet all right so hey look if you know me you know obviously i'm a nerd and if you really know me you know that way back in time when I was making my whole choices about college and careers and whatnot, I had a choice. I would either go to one school and become a historian, or I'd go to another school and become an engineer. Well, I became an engineer, uh, but I still kind of had this old love of, of history that kind of kicks around. And if you know Dogfish Head, you know they have their whole series of ancient ales that they do, you know, starting with Midas Touch and moving up into the other ones like Chateau Genot and and the – there's a whole range of them, and they all have impossible to say names. But – if you dig into that, you, what you discover is that they've been working very closely with a guy by the name of uh, Dr. Patrick McGovern of the University of Pennsylvania. And Dr. Pat, as I think a lot of people refer to him, is a – I want to make sure I say this correctly – an archaeobiologist or, or an archaeochemist or an archaeobiochemist. Basically, what he, what he and his team uh, does is they get called in – to sites where they have discovered pottery or containers or vessels or something. And they actually analyze chemically the, the different vessels to discover what could possibly have been in those vessels at some point in time. Because it turns out like if you're looking at something with pottery, they leave residue. You know, the things that we put in them leave residue in there and they can actually recover the residue and use the traces to figure out what the source of those traces were. So, for instance, the Midas Touch beer that we all know from uh, Dogfish Head was from 
the uh, tomb in Minos in Crete, and they basically analyzed it and pulled out that there were grapes in there because there was the residue of tartaric acid. They could find barley in there. They could find honey. They could find saffron and a couple of other uh, trace elements. And they actually used that to go work with Dogfish Head to go recreate the beer and sort of bring around a fantastical idea of something that would have been enjoyed in the past. So this is very cool. If I had known this existed as a possibility of a career back when I was deciding on the whole college thing, I would not be Drew Beecham engineer. I'd be Drew Beecham, Indiana Jones of archaeobotany or <laughs> however you want to put it. So uh, Patrick uh, McGovern has put, uh, put together a couple of other books in the past, uh, what, Corking the Past, and there's another one on wine that I haven't read. But Uncorking the Past is a really, really great book. So just before HomebrewCon, and if you were at HomebrewCon, you could get a copy actually signed by him. And he was signing books right next to us as we were signing books. And I didn't get to fanboy at him because he was always busy. I'm kind of disappointed in this. But uh, he wrote a brand new book called Ancient Brews Rediscovered and Recreated that he put together. And it really goes through, I think it's like eight different beers that he's done with Dogfish Head. And giving the context behind each of the beers uh, as described, the sites that they came from, the history of the site, the history of the culture, what drove the analysis the way that they took it, what they found, and what they ultimately decided to do in order to try and recreate those beers. And it includes recipes to, for you to go and recreate those beers as well, along with like, you know, hey, what do you want to do if you want to have dinner this way uh, with these beers? It's sort of a proper type thing. So it's really cool. It's a lot of really cool stories and really digging into sort of the context behind some of these crazy, goofy things that uh, Dogfish Head has done in the past. So I'm enjoying it. I'm about uh, halfway through it right now because it literally was on my doorstep when I got home. And yeah, I, I highly recommend it. I've, of course, I also really enjoy his, his stuff in the past anyway. So there you go. Ancient Brews, rediscovered and recreated by Dr. Patrick E. McGovern. Available at all your finer book-selling establishments. Sounds pretty cool, actually. Yeah, I mean, and again, I mean, this might appeal more to, you know, somebody who's sort of in my sort of weird bent to the world. Like, you know, there's a, a Kavasi-type recipe in here. There's a Hinket, which is the Egyptian beer. Uh, there's an Etruscan beer from the period of time before the Etruscans got uh, sort of wine crazy. And it's just kind of cool <laughs> and fun. And I mean, even if you're not, even if you don't go and brew the beers themselves, it's just really cool to see how science is helping us sort of reconnect into that fermentation past. Okay. One more time. That was ancient brews rediscovered and recreated by Patrick McGovern. If you are into finding out where, what we drink today came from, go get it. You'll love it. All right. Well, Hey, I think it's now time for us to go do some science. Yep. We're going to head over to the lab and uh, give you the results of our underpitching experiment and see if they agree with what you ex and see if they agree with what you would expect to happen when you underpitch a beer. So stick around. We'll be right back. When I'm done brewing, I want to be done brewing, not waiting around for my work to cool. With the Hydra, the Corny Pillar, and the other great chillers from Jaded, I can be done when I'm done. No more waiting 20 minutes for the wort to cool enough to add whirlpool hops. No more messing with cleaning and sanitizing counterflow or plate chillers. With the super fast immersion chillers from Jaded, you can chill your wort in minutes without all the hassle. Jaded chillers aren't just works of art, they're the fastest, most effective chillers you can buy. Check them out at jadedbrewing.com. 
ladder sound effect so you know that we have moved over to the brewery now we are going to be talking about our under pitching experiment so drew why don't you run down exactly what that was yeah you know this is one of those ones where you ever do that thing where you thought you did the thing and then you realize you didn't do the thing oh yeah it was one all of the time so uh at least according to the website i never actually published this experiment for everybody to look at but what we decided to do is a very popular thing that you hear people say is, well, if you want to drive your phenol and ester character, if you want to really kind of drive, you know, sort of your big Belgian yeast character, then the right and proper thing to do is to actually underpitch the yeast into the beer. And what we decided, is that actually a thing? So I screwed this up slightly. Uh, what we decided to do was say, hey, uh, our good friends at Y Yeast, our sponsors, can we get some yeast from you guys from the same lot and ship it off to people who are, you know, willing to sit down and brew beer. And, and we gave the Igors a choice of beers to brew. And we said, here are a couple of different ideas. You guys can brew this. And they chose to brew a beer that we called Abbott's vacation triple, which is a, a very close based on one of my uh, favorite triple recipes that I have out there. But just to give you an idea, it's super simple because of course it's me. And it's a five and a half gallon batch has basically 13 and a half pounds of Pilsner malt, a half a pound of aromatic malt and a pound of table sugar. And it comes in at original gravity of 1075. And this is where the mistake comes. Yeah. Because what we did was we got each of our Igors who signed up to do this brew, three packs of yeast from the exact same lot, the exact same freshness. And I think if I remember correctly, why yeast delivered these yeast packs like within a week of manufacturing. Oh, yeah. They, they, were, they were fresh. They were on ice. and They know how to ship yeast, let's face it. Yeah. I mean, it, it's basically you're not getting better yeast than, than this right. at that point. And what we'd ask the Igors to do is basically brew a single batch of beer, split into two volumes of equal uh, dignity, pitch one volume with one pack of yeast, and pitch the other volume with two packs of yeast. Now, does anybody see the red flag there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so... When we did this, I made a mistake in my yeast pitch calculations, and it turns out both of these are underpitched. Now, the one with one pack is drastically underpitched, you know, and sh should, if the whole thing about, you know, yeast stressor causing uh, extra phenols and uh, extra Belgian character show a bigger difference. And then the other one with two packs was slightly underpitched. It wasn't perfect, but, you know, it's good enough for us to get some interesting uh, results out of it. Yeah, this. basically, now, basically, what we ended up comparing was uh, a beer with not nearly enough yeast to a beer that had more yeast but still not enough. Yeah, and so we had nine tasters come, or sorry, we had nine Igors return results, which is awesome. We had a hundred and eighty-eight testers or tasters. Wow. Wait, yeah, so. That's a, I think that might be the most tasters we've ever had on a single, uh, single experiment, which is really cool. What I thought was interesting in looking at this. So when we look at the results and obviously we'll have a write up this so you can see all the numbers yourself of these nine trials, looking at the individual trials, six of them returned no significant result in terms of the P value. Three of them returned a significant value. And then most importantly of those nine trials. We also had three trials that got into sort of weird, suspicious number range. 
So usually I like to say if you're starting to get somewhere around 20% or 80%, your results start to kind of fall into that sort of maybe there's something hinky going on phase uh, in terms of the people, the number of people getting it correct or wrong. We had two of the trials land at 20% and 19% of the tasters getting it correct. So 80, 80 to 81% of the people getting it wrong. And that's outside the range of random chance. Then we also had another trial that ended up with 91% of the tasters getting it right, which is also outside the range of random <laughs> yeah, chance. Right. We're still doing the aggregation of the p-values uh, for now until we can figure out a better way to do this, and we're working on it. We have some fun ideas, actually. What we actually see is that even if you include all of the tasters, with 188 total tasters, we would have needed 74 successful identifications in order to get a p-value back that indicated something significant. Well, turns out we had 88, which means that the p-value shows a significant result in this aggregation. Now, let's say we take and toss the three results that we kind of think are a little bit outside of the means of where we, where we can trust the data. And again, by the way, this doesn't mean that there's something wrong with the experiment. It's just that, you know, better safe than sorry in some ways, right? So that means we're throwing out the two at 20 and 19% and the one at 91%. That drops us down to 130 total tasters, and we would need to have 53 tasters return back a correct detection in order to show significance. And in this particular case, out of the 130 of the trials that we're not throwing out, we had 61 tasters return back a, a correct identification, which would actually still give a p-value that indicates significance. So, what do you think of that, Denny? Basically, it comes down to the closer you can get to pitching the correct amount of yeast, the better your beer is likely to turn out, right? Is that the, the takeaway? Well, I mean, what the direct takeaway here is that, yes, our tasters could detect the difference between a radically underpitched beer versus a slightly underpitched beer. So now, looking through the results, do you see anything in there that would give indications that, you know, that we are seeing an impact here in terms of esters or preference, right? You know, like oh, definitely. Almost, almost everyone had said that the uh, beer pitched with two packs was a cleaner ester profile than the one pitched with one pack. Uh, a lot of people noticed uh, phenols in the one pack beer. Uh, one guy, even uh, I guess this was Tim Hayes, entered the beer into the Iowa Brewers Union Open. And NHC, uh, the two-pack beer scored first in the IBU Open in Belgian Strong Ale. But in NHC, uh, it didn't do as well. And he got comments that the beer was well-made but too clean and not enough Belgian character for a triple. Uh, that that makes me suspicious of the judges more than anything. But uh, still, you know, um, the, the overall trend was that beers made with closer to the proper amount of yeast were cleaner beers in terms of ester production. Well, and they also were drier, which is also not surprising. Nope. Uh, that seems like a, a fairly common thread in, in the comments back from the tasters. Right. Uh, the the one-patch packs were, were sweeter, uh, more fruity, which would indicate actually that they're showing more ester profile. But, I mean, to me, it still seemed that the preference, the preferences looking through what the tasters are actually saying. Because remember, there's a difference here between, yes, we can successfully detect a difference versus, okay, great, which one do you prefer? Right. And, I mean, it seemed, it seemed somewhat split, but still leaning towards people preferring 
the batch that was done with the two packs as opposed to the batch that was done with one. Sure. And there were some people that uh, preferred the batch done with only one pack because it had that higher level of esters to it. And, you know, that comes down to personal preference and what you expect the beer should taste like and stuff like that. So, you know, in, in that case, it's the takeaway becomes more subjective in that case. You know, it's like if you want to get more esters into your beer, then maybe you want to reduce the pitching rate, which is pretty much uh, commonly accepted practice, huh? Yeah. But I mean, again, I mean, I think looking at it, you know, given that, that people are really saying that, you know, that, that two patch back, you know, the one that is, you know, closer to the proper pitching rate was, you know, cleaner and, you know, seemed better attenuated and, you know, showing less defects. I don't care about the ester and phenol profile enough to, to not do a more proper pitch rate. Yeah, I agree. And uh, pitch rate is a darn uncertain and difficult way to try and control your ester profile. Uh, there are people who claim to do it. Uh, I don't know how long they practice doing it. I don't know how consistently they can do it, but you know, my takeaway is once again, try and pitch the proper amount of healthy yeast for the best beer. Yeah. I mean, honestly, again, I think between, you know, the experiments that we're doing, the experiments that Marshall's doing, the experiments that other people are doing, that one of the big takeaways on it is, man, your yeast health allows you to get away with a lot of sins. <laughs> yeah, right. Boy, do I know that. Yeah. All right. So, what do you guys think out there in listener land? Uh, obviously, we will have the full write-up of this before too long on the website, and you'll be able to actually dig into the numbers and tell us you know, what you think we did right and what you think we did wrong. But what do you think? Are you surprised that people can tell the difference? Are you surprised that people preferred the more properly pitched beer? Uh, did we do something else wrong other than uh, miscalculate the pitch rate? And before we leave uh, – and. It, if you have suggestions or comments like that, don't forget you can email us at podcast at experimentalbrew.com and we will gladly read your feedback on air, even if you're railing at us for you know doing something horribly, horribly wrong, crimes against humanity. Really? Even now, if you think we've done something horribly, horribly wrong, we're not afraid to admit it. Yeah. So now, before we leave this topic, uh, Denny, anything else that you want to uh, talk about or are we good? Uh, man, I'm I'm good. I keep saying it over and over again. Pitch the proper amount of healthy yeast for the best beer. And again, we really do have to give a big shout out to our sponsor, Y Yeast, for providing us with that really incredibly fresh yeast and getting it out to our Igors in a hurry so they could actually go do their experiment. That was yep, great. It was great. Thank you very much, people at Y Yeast. And this is a, uh, I guess, as good a time as any to mention our contest that we have going right now. Y Yeast has just released the third quarter summer seasonal strains, three different really interesting Belgian strains. And we're running a contest looking for the best recipe for each one. You can win free yeast. You can win swag from Y Yeast. They've got some really cool jackets. Um, you can win books and t-shirts from us. So, uh, go to experimentalbrew.com, look for the contest rules and get your recipe in for a chance to win. Uh, unfortunately, uh, this is limited only to residents of the U S although if you live outside of the U S and you're willing to accept only the swag and not the yeast, we'll send you that too. Yeah. And don't forget you have until July 31st to get your entries in. You know, give us your good ideas. It's going to be judged by Denny, myself, and some folks from Y East. And, you know, it's not a beauty contest. It's not a weird beer idea contest. It's 
we don't know what kind of well, compost. Well, it's a, it's a contest. You read the descriptions of the yeast. You internalize those descriptions, and you try and come up with a recipe that would really show off that yeast. Um, <laughs> yeah, Drew's internalizing here. Okay, before he gets too internal, we're going to take a quick break, head over to the lounge, and when we come back, we'll hear a couple interesting interviews. So stick around. Are you a fan of chocolate, but not of the mess that comes from using cacao nibs? Chalaka is your answer. A favorite of Tim Matthews at Oscar Blues, it contains only cacao and water. Chalaka is aseptically packaged, so you don't have to worry about any bugs coming along uninvited. Using only sustainably sourced cacao, every bottle of Chalaka you buy helps regrow the rainforests of Ecuador and Peru. Ask for Chalaka wherever Brewcraft USA products are sold. It's just about time. It's just about time. Don't you think it's about time? We talked about beer. So come on in. Come on in. Just come on in. And pour yourself a beer. Okay, this is the part where everybody sings. Beer, 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 beer. Beer, 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 beer. beer, beer All right. Well, hey, beer. we're now, it's in the lounge. It's time to relax. <sighs> Put your headphones on and listen to us interview people. <laughs> so every year, one of my favorite things to do is to go to the Southern California Homebrewers Festival. And in one of our earlier episodes, you heard me talking with Marshall and my friend Kevin about one of the beers he was serving there and a Randall full of coffee beans. And that was just a really, really great time. Well, it turns out, you know, Marshall and I were continuing to have fun the whole day, running around and interviewing people as we saw fit. And I think one of the best examples of an interview that we got and probably <laughs> one of the few that's going to really work on the show. And so after leaving the booth and talking to Kevin, we were wandering around and just outside the Maltos Falcons booth, there was this dude who had this weird device. And you know me and weird devices. I love weird devices. And it was this sort of steampunky looking infusion gadget with a funnel and a CO2 injector and a port and a valve and a chamber. It looked like the sort of thing I would have built back in my college days. So we had to stop. We had to ask him exactly what was going on. Now, during the interview, of course, Marshall and I were so fascinated by the device in front of us and the results that we were getting that we completely forgot to ask the poor man's name. But thanks to Brandon Martin of Come and Brew It Radio or Texas Brewing Incorporated, uh, we've discovered through the magic of the internet and hooked back up with Joshua Kunkel, who was the guy who you're going to hear us interview next. And we will have a link so you can see the device in action and understand how to build your own. All right. So, hey. Everybody, if you've been listening to us, this has been our recap of the, well, the 2017 Southern California Homebrews Festival here in Temecula, California, the Vale Lake Resort. And as you can tell, people are having a hell of a time. This is the place to be uh, during this time of year, I suppose. Uh, out here camping, having a great time, going booth to booth, and just drinking some really, some uh, really great beers and trying some other really interesting beers. Yeah. And, with people who are having an awesome time with no worries and everyone loves each other. No, I was going to say, I mean, not all the beers are perfect, but they're all homebrew and everybody's having a great time. I mean, 
I think so far, between Marshall and I, we've been to probably about 25, 30 of the brew, the brew clubs that are here. Oh, yeah, and there's more to hit up, and yeah. we plan to do that. Yeah, and we're, we're still wandering around, but we want to make sure that we told everybody, look, if you're anywhere near Southern California during this period of time per year, well, this is really a, kind of a thing that if you're not doing it as a home brewer, you're really sort of missing out on a big if you, part. If you live in California or if you don't and you want to join the California Homebrewers Association, it's cheap. It's yeah. an inexpensive, this is an inexpensive trip, man, for, for Californians. Yeah, I mean, you think it costs you 10 bucks for your CHA membership. It costs you, I think, what, 35, 40 bucks for the ticket to this party. For the ticket. And then whatever your camping fees are. For two days of just straight, no-nonsense beer drinking amongst homebrewers. Who are all in an absolutely fantastic mood. For yeah. some reason. I don't know why. Yeah. I can't imagine. Nobody's, nobody's seemed to have been in a sour mood so Did far today. you see that infusion tool that I built over here? It's kind of like your, your whipped cream canister. It looks huh. awesome. It's got like a funnel. Oh, yeah. I saw that. It goes into this chamber. And this is what the homebrew fest is. Exactly. All right. We're talking about infusion right. tools. So, wait. Crazy equipment. All right. And by the way, for everybody who doesn't know, this is uh, Andy Ziskin. Andy, uh, what's your, your, your video cast? Ah, my, my YouTube channel is called Wild World of Beer. You can find us using Wild World of Beer on Instagram, Facebook, and obviously YouTube. All right, and, and so what we've got facing here, Andy has suddenly alerted us to the presence of an infusion device. <laughs> Go find a way to infuse different flavors into your beer, right? Exactly. And he's got, uh, I think inside that canister, he's got uh, mandarin oranges. So you can take any beer and in two seconds infuse it with mandarin orange flavor. And it's mm. somebody else's beer. It is Huge. Is that oh. it? Well, and so and now we've got some right in front of us. Well, now. and so now we have Andy from uh, Andy from the Society of Lambic and the Barley Engineers, who apparently now has a glass of infused beer in front of you. And what, what did you infuse, Andy? So it, it's pretty amazing. He has some uh, orange zest in there, and so he's infused it in a uh, dark beer that's sort of like a stout with some Belgian characteristics to it, and the orange just co completely comes out of it pretty amazing i think you should talk to him about it might be good to get him on the podcast well there we go i think should we head over there i think we have we to run as well. screw closing out <laughs> right let's let's keep this thing going all right dun, 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 dun. what thing, is that thing this this thing looks <laughs> this thing looks horribly dramatic all right so hey uh, welcome to the experiment of brewing uh, podcast i'm drew this is marshall Hello. Hey, what is this weird medieval torture device thing that we have in front of us? It looks painful. It looks legit painful. If you want to torture someone, yeah, you could, you could do it for that. But normally I like to use it for pleasure. And, and the type of pleasure I like to use it for is random everyone. Hopefully that works for FCC, right? <laughs> well, so, hey, okay. it's a podcast. <laughs> so either case, the idea is... I have in here in this chamber uh, tangelo peel, well, citrus peel. So let, let's talk about this. So, uh, okay. What we got here is we got a big metal container here yes. that is. What sort of origin is this container? Um, you can think of it as a filter housing. Okay, so we got a filter housing here. Obviously, a big, uh, a yeah. big sort of uh, conjunction uh, holding up here on top to yep. get a pressure rating. 
one thing that goes into what looks like a CO2 infusion. Yep. And then another piece that's coming up here into a funnel yep. with a ball valve. Yep. And then down the very bottom of your injection housing, you've got another ball valve for pouring, I'm yes. guessing. Yeah. So is the idea here, we've got the tangible peels here in the middle of the pressure housing. Yes. CO2 here to infuse a little CO2 for instant extraction. And then beer comes up here into the funnel to pour down into, into the peels. Exactly. Got All right. right. All right. So. right. So pretty much the, the concept is one beer in, one beer out. So traditional Randall, you got to hook it up to a keg. you got to wait for gravity and time to basically infuse what you want. I said, F- that. Let's try to, like, quicken this. So I threw on the CO2, and the idea is you pour your beer in, you lock it up. The beer and the tangela are sitting side by side. And I use the CO2, and the pressure basically pushes the infusion right away. But one of the benefits I found out the hard way is it also recarbonates the beer. Ah. Sometimes with traditional Randalls, you lose some of that carbonation. So this recarbonates the beer. Once everything's done, within about a second or half, I basically release it, and fun ensues. <laughs> well, I think we need to try this, Drew. I, yeah, I was going to say, I think, I think we totally now, need to I have a beer. I will mention with the Tangelo... Because it's got that nice citrus note, if you try anything with a nice chocolate overtone, like a porter or a stout, it works beautifully. And well, these I, guys have a nice stout. Well, I was, was going to say, I think we have yeah. to do Dark Heart, uh, dark heart of the Forest. Oh, right? here comes my... So what do you call this thing? Um, the uh, common term is Randall f***er. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> okay, so should well, we, how many times should we say f***er so that we can really bug <laughs> Denny if he's the one? Yeah. 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 So, uh, so can we... For those not in the know, it's just the infuser. The infuser. So it's, okay. the, it's the infuser. But uh, can we get some uh, Dark Heart of the Forest here at 25? So for those of you who are not here in front of us, the 25 is the Dark Heart of the Forest, which is the Maltos Falcons sort of super intense Russian Imperial style courtesy of Kill Bittner and Bernard LaBelle. Uh, yeah. Well, here, yeah, let's... Yeah. Rick, can we, can we get one glass just straight? The Same 25. Beer. Beer. We want to do it straight versus the infused. Yeah. yeah. You got to get the difference. What? Awesome. I'm stoked. Just, uh, you know put this on our bar All right. While we're waiting for this beer, um, do your toes, are they like going to freeze off? Mine are freezing cold. Well, you and I are both wearing coppers, so yeah. My, my, my toes are about halfway to, to iceberg. <laughs> yeah, foot refrigerators. <laughs> yes. Of the many things that Chuck Taylor has been around for in the course of his life, producing well-insulated toes. Yeah, not one of them. <laughs> All right, so for everybody who isn't aware, what we've got going on in front of us is we've got the infuser, we've got a beer, we've got a lot of explanation going on. Uh, Marshall and I also have an uninfused sample of the beer in front of us. Which, if we're not careful, I'm going to drink all of them before. I know. Let me have a. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit of oil in there. You won't know. <laughs> no, let's go for it. All right, let's do this. No orange in that. None whatsoever. Right, so, yeah. none in this. Do right, Marshall, do you have an empty glass? Uh, I thought. Is he going to. Oh, yeah. I think, because no, I think it he's going to. in there. So, I'm opening right. up the chamber. All right, so we got an open to the, from the funnel. Beer goes in the funnel, and that streams into the infuser. Yep. And it's now falling right, kind of so slowly into the... Well, it's chug, 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 chug. Everything's filling into the infuser, which has all the mandarin in it. 
right? Or Tangelo, sorry. Tangelo, yeah. Yeah, Tangelo. So once we're there, we just lock Close it, it down. CO2 to do the extraction. Half-second trigger. Alright, oh I'm going to hold this the, is so the release. Alright, and so now we've got beer coming straight out of the infuser. Yeah. Yes, we did. Alright, and now, oh my. Whoa! Oh man. I mean, just, it's, like, it's like chocolate covered uh, Tangelo, I guess. I was thinking that orange, you know, where you break up the chocolate. Yeah, I was going to say, it's, it's one of those Christmas oranges. Yeah, where you, where you, like. you slam the chocolate down and, and breaks into chocolate wedges. Oh my word! And that is way faster and simpler than a Randall. Yep. Mm. Well, told you less than a second. Done. <laughs> less than a second. That is really neat. <laughs> yeah, that's I mean, really neat. That's important. And so, just so I can ask, because you've obviously you've got a lot of parts here. To speak the truth, right? There's a small issue. What if that is what we just tried is the remainder of something that's been sitting for... Well, this is what's uh, an interesting thing I found out with the pressure, because there's so much behind it, it usually blows out the prior beer. And when I was testing this with other beers, a lot of beers would stand alone. You get some slight changes by coloration, especially if you're going darker beer to lighter beer, but the flavor would always stand alone. Like, I, I never really had an issue with the flavors. Contrast the, that's the, the beer is already flushed. The previous beer is flushed out, and that's the new well, beer. Well, did you yeah. see when he when he turned it on, it, it was it was blowing air, mostly. Yeah. Like, when he opened it. I don't know. That's kind of an indicator that maybe it's going to blow it to the ground here. So, the idea is, because you have so much pressure here, when you open this, you know, see, there's not really that much left over. Yeah, I mean, there's, like, virtually nothing coming out of there. Yeah. So, I mean... All I can say is, wow! I mean that, I mean that Impressive. that citrus peel. I mean, I mean, it's amazing what like just that short contact time with a little bit of CO two pressure will do. So, just out of curiosity, for anybody who wants to build this, and obviously we'll try and get more instructions from you. Hey, homebrew, we're all about sharing. You Absolutely. But how? I mean, how much did this little gizmo with all of these parts cost you to put together? At first, I have to be honest here. This part here normally runs about the infuser for the filter housing. But I lucked out, and I found a brewery that was going under that was selling this as well as other filter housings for about a hundred bucks. So I bought it up like real quick. So if you're going to go with all stainless, obviously it's going to be a little more expensive because just the stainless around this was an extra hundred dollars. Okay. So we're looking at like two hundred dollars, two to three hundred dollars to build an all stainless version of this. Now, you could try your hand at doing it with the uh, traditional plastic, but be forewarned that because you're dealing with some higher pressures, yeah. over time the plastic may crack. Yeah. Have you, you know. um, have you have you put hops in here? What's the deal with uh, um, dry dry hopping? Dry hopping. Well, uh, I've tried it initially with uh, pellet hops. Bad idea, by the way, because you get straight bitter. Really well. Thank you. <laughs> so trying with the pellet hops didn't work so well because it was just, all you got was the bittering. That's the one downside here is I'm dealing with CO2. CO2 has its own metallic bitterness, and combined with the hops, it just exponentially, you know, goes crazy with it. Now, we could try it with a little bit of hops because recently I did pick up some nitrogen canisters, and I think that would actually work really good to get some of that hop essence in there. Now, um, I wouldn't recommend the pellet because obviously, as I said, it was just straight bitter. But if we got some of the live or wet hops, I think that would be a really good addition, especially on a nitro version of this canister. 
Yeah, I mean, I, dude, that, I mean, that is so awesome. And I love, I mean, this to me is like a perfect example of homebrew experimentation. Homebrew ingenuity 101. This is rad. Yeah. Yeah. And it I, works. I, I love the fact that you've basically made yourself a personal f***ing Randall. <laughs> I know, it's yeah, well, The beauty is, I, I came out here last year, and this, this, this is kind of a funny story. I came out last year, and I, I told myself I was going to go Randall all the other clubs. So I went club to club, just basically, you know, f***ing with their beer. But ultimately, I ended up Randall f***ing myself. <laughs> because about halfway through, I just kept trying all these great beers that had been infused, and I was just like, I'm good for the night. <laughs> well, I was going to say, that's that, that seems to me like the same problem I had the first time I started bartending in college, which was, that's one for you, one for me, one for you, one for me. Why am I suddenly so drunk and you're not? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I really do have to say, that is... So completely, completely awesome. It's bonkers, man. I don't even know how to respond to that other than to say, "Really, nice job." Yeah, nice job. Thank you so much. We'll let other people. I got, I got one for you. Cheers. There we go. Cheers, Cheers, man. man. Absolutely. Yeah, and we'll let other people bother you now. Yeah, and by the way, that I mean that tangible infused version of that Russian Imperial Stout is like, ah. Taste. It's just, it's just so. It's a very, it's a nice combo for sure. All right, shall we, Mr. Drew? Wow, uh, it sounds like there may have been some drinking involved in that. I can neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> I can pretty much mostly confirm. because I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's because you've heard the rest of the audio. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh, the outtakes from that are going to be epic. Yeah. Well, and I. I have to say, I mean, I really loved sort of the ingenuity of what this guy was showing around because, I mean, it was, it was relatively simple. I mean, and it was using a couple different parts to make really kind of like the same idea of what you, you can easily do with a whipping siphon, only with the sort of built-in filtration so that it's all in this kind of one unit and using CO2 to do the infusion. So, I mean, I thought that was pretty damn rad. All right. Well, hey, why don't we jump into the next thing where we're actually taking some serious business here? Yeah, really. So we talked about the uh, craft malt seal that's going to be on bags of craft malt. The Brewers Association has come up with something similar to help you identify craft beer. Now, Bob will talk about this more in the interview, but really the definition of craft beer from the Brewers Association is to have less than 25% of the brewery owned by a large corporation. So, Well, a large alcohol yeah, beverage corporation. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, so um, rather than us trying to explain it poorly... We'll just uh, kick back here and let you listen to Bob Pease, the CEO of the Brewers Association, talking about the new craft beer seal, why you should look for it, and what it means. All right. Well, hey, everybody, we are sitting here in the middle of Homebrew Con in Minneapolis, and we are talking with one of our most important people, uh, Mr. Bob. Bob, say hi to everybody. Good afternoon, good evening, and good morning. Covering all the bases, just like good, just like good manager does. Uh, all right, Bob, why don't you tell everybody in the audience who you are and what you do? I'm Bob Pease. I'm president and CEO of the Brewers Association. Brewers Association, or BA for short, is the trade association that represents the small and independent American craft brewer. There are now 5,300 small and independent breweries in the United States, and we're the organization that advocates on their behalf. 
also a big part of the Brewers Association, as I think most, hopefully many of you in the audience will know, are 46,000 members of the American Home Brewers Association. Yes, including Denny and I. Thank you uh, for your membership. <laughs> thank you for your support. And one, well, and obviously this is the big party of the year, but uh, you said that you know, it advocates for the craft brewer. We, can you can you go a little bit more into what that means for sure our purpose as the brewers association is to promote and protect american craft brewers their beers and the community of brewing enthusiasts i'd say the home brewers fit right into that as the major part of the community of brewing enthusiasts but the promote and protect uh, part of our purpose refers to activities like promotion include homebrew con the great american beer festival books from Brewers Publications, which I hear there might be uh, a new one coming out from some people that might be sitting close to me. Uh, but then on the, on the Protect side, uh, that's where our work with government affairs comes in. And so we're active both at the federal level and the state level on behalf of small and independent brewers. But it also means protecting uh, small and independent brewers' uh, access rights to access market and get their beers on the shelves or the, and on the tap. And I think that's what we're probably going to talk a little bit about this morning. Yeah, absolutely. And and so, I mean, yeah, you guys are before Congress all the time. You're before state legislatures. You're dealing with a lot of ABC issues. That's correct. Working with state guilds. I mean, yeah. there's yeah. there's a lot of work going on. And I know a lot of homebrewers don't don't see that, but I mean, it, they don't see that same thing because it's not so much in, in their wheelhouse, but sure. the same activities are also happening at the HA level as well. And that directly impacts what happens with homebrewers. But now... Let's talk about because one of the things Denny and I have talked a lot about on the podcast is what I'm thinking of as like the rise of the acquisition culture that we're now dealing with in the craft beer world. You bet. And I mean, it's kind of, I mean, this is a very dynamic and interesting time. Yep. But it leads to a lot of questions to the heart of people who are craft beer enthusiasts about, you know, what does this mean? I mean, what, what does craft beer mean anymore now that we have all these? Mega breweries buying up small, uh, small and formerly independent breweries. Yeah, well, that's a, that's a big question. Uh, I'll try to give a small answer. <laughs> uh, since 2011, uh, 16 uh, independent, formerly uh, small and independent craft brewers have sold to global multinational corporations. Anheuser-Busch InBev has purchased 10. Uh, their first acquisition was Goose Island in 2011, and their most recent acquisition was Wicked Weed. Uh, also active in that space is uh, formerly known Miller Coors, now Molson Coors, with purchases of four small and independent breweries. Uh, Constellation Brands has purchased one, and Heineken USA has also purchased one brand. What that means to the beer drinker is a variety of things, but what we're most concerned about is how uh, the beers that are have been purchased by global multinational corporations will get distributed. And what I mean by that is Anheuser-Busch InBev is the largest producer of beer in this country, but many people might not know that they're also the largest distributor of beers in this country, which seems like a bit of an anomaly when you think about the three-tier system. But the three-tier system is really 50 sets of three-tier systems because every state has a different set of beverage alcohol laws. And before I go f too far down the rabbit hole, we just want to, I just want to say that, you know, what the Brewers Association is dedicated to and will, you know, really fight for is preserving choice for the beer drinker. We want to make sure that the beer drinker is the, is the driving force as to who decides what gets on tap at their favorite uh, bar or restaurant 
or what gets on the shelf at their local grocery store or liquor store. Well, and it's not just choice because I mean it's I mean it's real choice because right now I think one of the concerns is that with some of these purchases that are happening, you can go into places and you have the illusion of choice. Yes. I mean, like I I think the common one now is going into you know, like an airport bar or stadium bar, and it's like, hey, look, I've got 10 different beers to choose from, but if you stop and you think about it and you know what's happening in the in the beer acquisition world, yeah. you realize those 10 taps are all owned by one company. Exactly right, and we think uh, that the, you know, we've done some research, and, we, and we're pretty confident that the beer drinker does not like to be fooled. We believe the beer drinker wants to know who is behind the beer that they are purchasing. Is it a small and independent craft brewer, or is it a brand that is affiliated with a global multinational? There's nothing wrong with either of those scenarios, but what the Brewers Association firmly believes in is the, brew, the beer drinker has the right to know who's behind the brand. And we, we're convinced that there is a segment, and we think a growing segment, of the beer drinking population that wants to support beers and breweries that are small, local, and independent. Those are the companies, those are the businesses that are ingrained in your local community. Those are the companies that are creating jobs. Those are the companies that are driving urban revitalization. You can, I can go through a laundry list of communities across the country and identify where a small and independent brewery has opened up their doors and then served as the anchor of urban revitalization and bringing life and urban manufacturing back to communities all across the country. Yeah, I, mean, I even see it in L.A., you know, where, like, neighborhoods get activated when a brewery opens. Yeah, Three Weavers in your community is a great example. I mean, what a wonderful story Lynn and her team have to tell. And that story is being, you know, replicated all across the country. Yeah, well, I think people who've listened to the podcast know how I feel about this, which is, you know, to me, one of the reasons why I love craft beer and the reason why I'm I'm always kind of a local guy is... I like the fact that when I go to a craft brewery, it's not just me handing money over a bar to some faceless entity that could be just as happy selling toothpaste, but I'm actually really selling, I'm really buying the product uh, of people that I have a chance to know and people that I can have a chance to connect with. And that actually kind of means something. That's, you're spot on. And, you know, in our world, we kind of zero in on the word authenticity there where, yeah, the beer drinker has the opportunity with small and independent craft brewers to get to know the man or the woman, the entrepreneur that's behind that business. And that means a lot. And I think there, again, there are so many people in this country that, you know, don't like getting duped. or They don't like getting fooled by the man. And they want to know, you know, where is their money going? Is it staying in the local community or is it going to shareholders across the world? You know, we think craft brewers, what we see with them is, you know, so many great virtues, the collaborative spirit, the entrepreneurial spirit, the philanthropic efforts, giving back to their community. But something that really stands out for our, our community is, is that collaborative spirit. And you don't see that in many other industries. And we really, want, we really think it's important to try to preserve that collaborative spirit. That's awesome. But now, of course, for, you know, people who are paying attention, I mean, like, like I said, I mean, I can walk into a stadium bar and I can recognize that, okay, all 10 of those taps are the same company. Yeah. But for the average person who isn't a beer obsessive nutball like I am, <laughs> you know, and who isn't paying real right. close attention right. to all the news, this is hard to track. I mean, like. It is. It is. And there's a lot of confusion out there. And, you know, 
many people pr probably don't care, but again, I think we're convinced there's a segment, and we think a growing segment of people that do care. So what the Brewers Association is going to launch is a seal uh, that's going to be given to, distributed to every small and independent craft brewery in the United States. It's, right now there's around 5,300 small and independent craft breweries. And we're going to provide them a seal that they can put on their packaging, they can put on their website, they can put on their menu, they can put on their taproom door, they can tattoo all of their employees with it. But it will be a seal that will identify who is a small and independent brewery and who's not. We think that will help the beer drinker decide how they want to spend their money. Right. And so now this is going to be a tool because you, I, anybody else, you know, as long as we recognize that, that mark, what, I mean, what that mark means, then, I mean, yeah, that, that's telling us, hey, you know, you, we're supporting the community of these people that we yeah, like. Yeah, that, that seal is, is, is designed to help the beer drinker make a quick decision. Do I want to support a local independent business or do I want to support a global multinational? Either choice is fine, and we're not making a value judgment one way or the other, but we believe firmly the beer drinker has the right to know. We think they want to know, and we think there is, a, again, a growing segment of the beer drinking population that wants to support beers from small and independent breweries. This campaign, this seal, is going to give them the opportunity to do that. And so now, we're, as we're talking, the program itself hasn't been rolled out, but we're expecting that it will be rolled out by the time that you obviously hear about this. And... So how how long do you think it will take before people start seeing this on their shelves and should start to recognize it? Well, I think the beer drinker will be able to see it in a variety of ways quite quickly. I think we'll see it on taproom menus right away. I think we'll see it on websites. I think we'll see it on Facebook pages. I think uh, we'll see it on beer festival posters. Uh, I know when if uh, some of your listeners come to the Great American Beer Festival in Denver in the fall, uh, it will be prominently uh, displayed. <clears throat> but in terms of getting into packaging, uh, you know, we want to make sure that this campaign, this effort, does not uh, incur any excessive costs for small and independent breweries. So we've been calling around, spoken to hundreds of breweries, and talked to them about the campaign, meeting with universal enthusiasm. But to directly answer your question, I'd say it's anywhere from two weeks to a year where we'll see uh, the seal being uh, on packaging, you know, to a to a high degree. Uh, you know, people order cans, bottles, six-pack carriers, 12-pack cartons at a variety of different times, and we want them next time they reorder, that's when we want them to put the seal on their packaging. Right, and I, and I know that there will be people out there who question things like, okay, so you have to get your labels approved and your packaging approved, but we, we already know that this, doesn't, it, this isn't going to incur in cost on the breweries for redoing that, right? Uh, I don't know if that's exactly 100% correct because whenever I think when you redo a, a can label, for example, I think you do need to do a you make any change to a can label. I think there's a plate charge and a plate whenever you make any type of right. design change. So there will be some uh, fee, but we hope it to be fairly nominal. As far as TTB goes, uh, this should not uh, require any small and independent brewery to resubmit a COLA or a certificate, a label approval to the TTB. We're in communication with the TTB and have been keeping them apprised of uh, our campaign and the design of the seal, and so far, so good. Yeah, I can only imagine the howling of the TTB if suddenly every craft brewery <laughs> out there resubmitted all their labels because they won't put the mark on there. <laughs> no, and that's one of the things we do on behalf of small and independent breweries is we work closely with the TTB, our primary regulator, to try to educate them on what our needs are and conversely educate our members what TTB's needs are. Uh, and that's a two-way street, and we've established a pretty good working relationship with that agency.
All right. Well, so the the other question I, uh, we didn't touch on it, it, from the Brewers Association uh, perspective, for breweries that want to be able to use this mark, you know, obviously this is all about promoting independent breweries. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? Like, if for a brewery to be independent. How does that definition work? Uh, that's a very good question, and where we're, you know, where we're centering our campaign is on the brewer's definition of a craft brewer. We don't define craft beer, but we do define craft brewer. And why that's important to the Brewers Association is we need to know when we get up in the morning who are we going to work for each and every day, and it's the small and independent craft brewer. So in this case, we're hanging our hat on the independence uh, element of our definition. And basically what that means is to be considered independent, you cannot have more than 25% ownership from an outside beverage alcohol entity and still be considered independent. So your listeners might be wondering, well, what does that mean? So if a large brewer buys 22% of your company, in our mind, you're still, under, you're still an independent brewer. If they buy 26% of your company, you fall outside of our definition and you no longer meet the independence threshold. Right. At which point in time, because the mark is owned by the Brewers Association, it's the intellectual property of the, that is the Brewers Association, there's agreements about that, and at which point in time, they would have to roll off that label That's correct. out of their package. <clears throat> every, brewer in the, every small and independent brewer in the United States will be provided a licensing agreement which outlines the terms of usage and what they need to do to stay eligible to continue to use the seal. There you go. All right. Well, and see, I think this is going to be great because, again, I've, I, I've come to really like the independent term because I think the independent term gets at the heart of why I like craft beer and, and the craft breweries I see around. Yeah. You know, to me, that's, you know, that's, that's my hippie showing. I'm sure there's many of your listeners that, you know, when they go out and make food and beverage purchases, be it at a, a farmer's market or at a grocery store, they looked and see who's behind the brand, where they're spending their money. And we want to be able to provide the beer drinker that same opportunity. There you go. And I, I think it's important. And I, I love the fact that that's going to be out there. So yeah, keep an eye out. As we're as you're about to hear this, you will have examples of the what the oh, mark yeah. looks like, and people will be able to see it. So you're going to be able to watch out for it. Encourage your local breweries to get involved oh. with the program because that information is important. I mean, look, I know a lot of people out there say, "Hey, you know, it's just about the beer. I just want the the, the beer to taste and like we beer." We respect that. Yeah, but if you are of the mind, you know, like Denny and I are, and Bob is, that independence means something, and that you really do want to support your local craft breweries, then. Keep an eye out for this mark. Encourage its use, and encourage uh, we encourage you to actually go and support people who are flying those colors. You'll be able to see, see the seal on uh, homebrewersassociation.org and also on the Brew Guru app from the American Homebrewers Association. Yes, yeah, so the Brew Guru app, which is a very important way to be able to find your local beer deals. Uh, all right, well, Bob, before we leave, is there anything else that, that you feel like the listeners should know? Uh, I would just uh, thank your listeners for being engaged uh, in the brewing community across the country. Uh, you know, we feel strongly that small and independent brewers have really saved beer in this country. This craft beer revolution has been driven by the beer drinker. It's not been driven by the Brewers Association or even the brewing companies. It's been driven by people like uh, your audience, uh, demanding choice, demanding exploration, demanding taste, value, quality, uh, opportunity, authenticity, and we want to fight hard to preserve all that. All right. Well, and last question, what's your favorite style of beer to drink? Boy, it depends on the, t it depends on the time of year for me. I'm a seasonal drinker. Right now, I'm really enjoying uh, Pilsner's. Uh, you know, it's kind of hot here uh, in Minnesota, but, uh, you know, back in when I, when I get home to, to Boulder, uh, I really like a, you know, a, a nice pale ale. 
All right. Yeah, see, it, it totally is a seasonal thing. There we go. All right, well, thank you so much, Bob. I My appreciate you taking you the time to sit down yeah. with us. And, uh, yeah, keep an eye out for the mark. Uh, let's have some, uh, you know, let's have some attention paid to it. And, like I said, encourage its use. Encourage supporting the independent breweries that are out there. And remember that, you know, the, the AHA, which is one of our sponsors, is a, a sister, or actually, sorry, a child organization of the Brewers Association. So there's a lot of support going on back and forth between homebrewers and the professional brewing world. Thank you again, sir. Thanks for having me. All right. Well, there you go. That's us talking with Bob. That was the morning of HomebrewCon, the first day. And, you know, while everybody was sitting there being serious about the whole thing, and we had just learned about the the program, it had been in the works for uh, quite a while. And uh, first, I want to say Bob is one of the nicest guys out there and a real pleasure to talk to and really super passionate about supporting, you know, the whole craft beer industry. And this is an interesting effort. And I've been watching the sort of reactions to it that people have been having. And I know there's been some pros, some cons, and some neef reactions. What do you think, Denny? What have you seen? I think that it's a great first step. I mean, they've introduced the mark. The uh, real difficult part now is going to be educating people about what that mark means and why it's important. And I know that they have plans to do that. So I'm I'm real hopeful, and I'm just going to sit back and wait and see how it goes and uh, support their efforts as much as possible. Yeah, and I mean, I've seen some people, you know, talk about, oh, you know, the, this is splitting craft beer and all that sort of fun stuff. And I mean, to me, this is this is a tool for people who care about that. And there's a lot of market research that shows that people care about this sort of particular situation. So I think this is a tool. If you don't care, guess what? Great. You don't have to use it. Uh, you don't have to care about it. If you do care, then great. You have a way to be able to tell without having to have a running encyclopedia in your head. So uh, I think it's a good thing. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say too, man. It's like, you know, it, it's simply there as an informational tool and you can use it or not use it. We, of course, hope that you will use it. But if it's something that doesn't work for you, then fine. Yep. So just remember, it's not it's not a judgment. It's just a, a helpful hint. It's information, people, and more information is always better. All right. Well, hey, I think that's enough lounging. It's time to get back to work. I'm lounged out, uh, dude. Yeah, dude. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back after a little music. Okay, we're back. I apologize for that, but it's what we have to do. Um, in this segment, we're going to uh, talk about something other than beer. We're going to have a quick tip, and we're not going to have any question and answers, huh? No. You know why? Because this is, if my notes are correct, episode 44. Mm. And you know what that means? It means that we're very tired. Well, you're very okay. tired. I'm very caffeinated. <laughs> but no, episode 44 means that we are now... Four episodes away from our next epic Q&A show. Q&A show, Q&A show, Q&A, Q &A show. show. Yeah. So we uh, like to save up a couple questions ahead of that and give ourselves a little bit of a break so we can do some research. But if you have questions 
We're going to get to some in the next episode, but if you have questions that you want in the Q&A show, you better start getting them into questions at experimentalbrew.com or leave us a voicemail at 626-765-1AL. And if you leave a voicemail, we might just use it in the show. But yeah, get your questions in. It's always fun. We love these Q&A shows, and we do them every 12 episodes. So episode 48 is our next Q&A. So get going. Yep, and remember, that's questions at experimentalbrew.com or 626-765-1-A-L-A-L-E. Oh, that's so darn clever. And we'll take questions on anything. We'll take questions on brewing beer. We'll take questions on Drew's dogs. We'll even take a ukulele question. God help me. Hey, I have a question. Are red Converse sneakers good for walking around on concrete floors? No. No, no. Okay, that one's been answered, so nobody needs to write in about that. Okay, wow. so let's get on to our quick tip of the week. I, uh, several years back, uh, remodeled my detached garage to be a brewery. I have my serving fridge in the house with the kegs in it. And uh, if I needed CO2 out in the brewery area... I would have to lug my 20-pound CO2 bottle back and forth. And to tell you the truth, that was an unpleasant experience. I didn't really do it, so I tended to, uh, you know, bring kegs up to the house to carbonate them or do keg-to-keg transfers, that kind of thing. And that was a drag, too. Well, I had, like, this revelation recently. Actually, it was a revelation when a guy in my homebrew club was selling a 5-pound CO2 tank. And I picked up a really nice, small, all-aluminum CO2 tank and regulator to keep out in my brewery area, and it is already making my life much easier. Uh, for instance, uh, I do all my keg cleaning out there now because uh, I can uh, clean my kegs with cold water using the Kraftmeister alkaline wash. And uh, after I get them clean and dry, I like to put the lids on and pressurize the keg because that way the next time I uh, go to use that keg, if there's no pressure on it, I know that it's got a leak and I have some work to do. So, you know, that's nice and easy for me. I've been able to do keg to keg transfers out there. Um, so just, just a simple little thing like spending a few bucks for that kind of stuff to keep in a different location has made a large improvement to my brewing pleasure. So I guess my quick tip is don't be cheap, get the equipment you need and try and find it used. Yeah. And it's amazing after lugging a 20 pound CO2 tank around for a while, just how light and nimble a five pounder feels. Yeah, especially an aluminum one, man. Those, those things like are almost like nothing. You think it's going to float away. Yeah. It's like the brewing equivalent of like going bowling with a heavy ball. And then you just go and pick up like the eight pounder just for yeah, giggles. Right. God, I love boiling. I'm terrible at it, but I love boiling. Yeah. Uh, well, there, there you go, Danny. That's what we need to do in Portland. Oh, man. Yeah, no karaoke. Uh, we'll do a bowling. bowling party. That's it. A party at a bowling alley. That would be great. Uh, and <laughs> I, it's been about 20 years since I've bowled, so I'm about due for the next round. Yeah, just watch the hip. <laughs> yeah. All right. So you've got uh, something other than beer to talk about? I always have something other than beer to talk about. And I... No big surprise. I mean, obviously, YouTube freak, podcast freak, book freak, but also a little bit of a music freak and also a little bit of a comic books freak. So that all kind of came together in a head with Marvel released the first trailer for the Black Panther movie that's coming out, in, uh, I think, in February of next year. And one, of course, it's a Marvel movie, so it already looks pretty awesome to me. Black Panther is a really interesting character with a lot of history and a lot of legend behind it. But then what really made the trailer for me was... 
that they tied it together with a, a group called Run the Jewels. Uh, and they played underneath the whole thing a song called Legend Has It, which is an absolutely kick-ass sort of alternative rap song. And and it's not very family-friendly. So if you're listening to this in your car and about to go search for it and you have kids in the car, don't. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really great song with a really, with a really, really amazing beat and sort of a whole structure and layout to it. But definitely not family-friendly. <laughs> But what was really great about the Black Panther trailer was not only did it really kind of, you know, get me excited about the movie, but it also really reminded me to get excited about Run the Jewels. So there's your there's your something other than beer this week. All right, man. You know, uh, I'm not real familiar with uh, Run the Jewels. I have heard very little of their music, but I heard them on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. And uh, I was really impressed by how witty and intelligent those guys are. So I may have to check some of this stuff out. There you go. All right. So we've uh, we've blown another one, huh? That's a personal question. <laughs> Let me rephrase that. I guess we've come to the end of another podcast. We have indeed. So why don't you kick all us right. out? All right. We want to thank all of you for listening to Experimental Brewing. You can catch all of our latest adventures and writings by going to our website, experimentalbrew.com. And Drew promises to have the experiment write-up up there real soon now, right? Maybe. Maybe. Don't forget, you can support the podcast by leaving us a review in iTunes, click on the Amazon AHA or BYO links on the website, and by going to Patreon and pledging a buck or two or more to our charitable cause, which for this part of the year, well, that's going to be up to you guys. So let us know. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, where we're at EXP Brewing. We're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're on a bunch of other places, uh, homebrewing forums all over the place. Drew hangs out in the dark corners of the internet that I don't even know about. Yeah, they call it Slack and Reddit. Yeah, okay, well, that's what I mean. If you want to ask us a question or suggest topics or recipes or experiments, you can email us at podcast at experimentalbrew.com. Or if you want to get a hold of each of us individually, I'm Denny at experimentalbrew.com, and he's Drew at Experimental Brew. So until next time, remember to always brew experimentally. Or Brew Wacky. And we'll see you on the next episode of Experimental Brewing.